The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, church. Okay, we serve coffee in the morning if anybody needs a perk up. Um, Our scripture today is going to be Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, and... uh, That's found in page 875 in in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And if anybody here desires a Bible, doesn't have a Bible, you're more than welcome to take the Pew Bible that you're using now as our gift to you. Luke 16, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. And I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly with me and let's write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? And this man said, A hundred measures of wheat. So he said to him, Okay, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful to the, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's so good to be with you guys today. Such a privilege for me to be here. Let's go before the Lord in prayer as we receive his word. Lord Jesus, we love you. We are all coming here together as a church, as a community, to hear you speak and to obey what you say, because we love you, and because for what you have done for us on the cross, you went to the cross, Lord, for our sins, and you died. You were buried, and then you were raised again, securing our future, our eternal future. Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe and obey as we go through your word today. Amen. Amen. 
So today we're going to continue our study in the book of Luke. And we took uh, several weeks off and we went, um, in the month of April, we went through Jesus' Passion Week, his betrayal, his trial, his death, and his resurrection. And so we're going to come back to, to our study in Luke 16 and we come across a strange parable. When we were reading it, it seemed kind of strange. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to be the one giving the message today, because the last time I gave a message, we were in Luke 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus was explaining what the heart of the Father is like towards sinners. Okay? In Luke 15, he was talking to the Pharisees, and he was telling them what the, what the heart of the Father is like. And we saw three things. Number one, he searches diligently for the sinner. Number two, God receives unconditionally the sinner. And number three, we saw that God rejoices greatly over the sinner. That God has so much joy when a sinner is saved. And in, in chapter 16, he directs his attention from the Pharisees, and now he directs it towards his disciples. And now he wants to tell his disciples how to practically participate in sharing the heart of the Father with the lost. He's giving us advice on how to share the heart of the Father with the lost. So I have three points that, we can, that will help us get through this. The first point is the instruction, Jesus' instruction to us on how to do this. Number two, there will be insight into our own hearts that will reveal to us who our true master is. And then number three, we get from Jesus inspiration to actually live this way, to participate in sharing the heart of the Father. So we got instruction, we got insight into our own hearts that will reveal to us our true master, and we got inspiration. How do we get this motivation to live this way? So we'll start with the instruction. So Jesus has this parable. Let's go through it one more time. In verse 1, there's a rich man who had a manager. Um, and charges were brought to this man, the rich man, that he was wasting his possessions. This is the kind of job that Potiphar had with Joseph. So a rich man basically hired a manager to deal with all the ins and outs of his business and dealings of his household, while the rich man can then go away and spend his time doing something else, okay? So he hires this manager. But then this manager, people are saying, he's wasting all of your possessions. He's not doing a good job. Actually, the term here, wasting his possessions, is like the young brother in the previous parable. Remember when he said to his father, Hey, father, you're dead to me. Give me my inheritance. And the Bible says he took his inheritance and squandered it. He scattered it. He didn't invest it. He wasted his possessions. Same term. Okay? And so the rich man, being wise, makes a meeting with his manager. Hey, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you no longer could be manager. You're fired. If I leave you in charge of all my possessions, I'm going to go broke. 
So I'm going to take care of myself and get rid of you. <laughs> this is now the future for the manager. This is what's going to happen. He's going to be out of a job, out of a house, no money. What is he going to do? So he has a moment to himself. He talks to himself and he says, what shall I do since my master's taken the management away from me? So he, he understands something is going to happen to him. There's a future that's coming towards him. And he needs to act so that he secures his future. He realizes about himself he's not strong enough to dig, and he is ashamed to beg. And then he goes, I have decided what to do. So he has a plan now that when I am removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. So he makes a plan. Based on his living situation, he's too weak to dig, he's not gonna be good, and he's too proud to ask for money. So what is he going to do? He comes up with this really great plan. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And this is why I think it's so genius. He does it one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't deal with it as a group of debtors that owe the master and then just reduces the debt. But he deals one-on-one -on -one with each debtor, and he's spreading his success rate to securing his future. That, okay, maybe if, you know, person A doesn't accept me to their house because of the deal I made with them, maybe person B would, or person C would. And therefore, he, what we have is a bunch of options of people who are gratitude and now in debt to him to take, him into the, to, to take the manager into their houses. So what does he do? He cuts their debt. He says to the first one, how much do you owe? 100 measures. Okay, write 50. 50% 50 off. That's amazing. He says to the second, how much do you owe? 100 measures of wheat. Okay, write 80. And look at what the Bible does. It's so amazing here. This is the strange part. This is it, verse 8. The master, what? Commended. Not condemned him, but commended. He, he said, wow, that's, that's a great plan. And then the Bible adds a title over the manager. And what's that title? The what? Dishonest manager. Jesus, you're using a, a strange example of how I should live. <laughs> the master commended the dishonest manager for what? Was it for his dishonesty? No. Was it for his, what, laziness of wasting his possessions? No, for his what? What's that last word? Shrewdness. His dealings, his wise dealings, his creativity, of how he dealt with these resources in his possession to secure his future. The master goes, yeah, you cheated me, but man, you made a great plan for yourself. And then the parable ends. <laughs> what? Okay, Jesus, what, what are you saying here? Are you telling me to be manipulative? Are you telling me to lie and be dishonest? No. Of course not. Of course not. What is he saying, though? 
He wants us to steward resources winsomely or creatively for the kingdom. He's basically telling his um, disciples to steward your resources, the, the, the things that you have that God has given to you. That threw me off a little. <laughs> so, first of all, Jesus is not saying to be manipulative, to cheat, and to be dishonest, but to be creative with how you use your resources. Be creative. God has entrusted to you resources. Some people, he's given more. Some people, he's given less. And it's not about how much he's given you, but about how do you deal with what he has given you. And Jesus is telling us, be creative in how you use your resources. How come this man, who's an unbeliever, can come up with such a plan and be praised for it, but not you guys? That's what he says. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The sons of this world, they, their future kind of ends here on earth. That's it. They're non-believers. They don't believe in eternity and all that. So they deal with their position here on earth. And when it, you know, um, that it's going to end here on earth. But the sons of light, what's our future looking like? It's eternity. Right? Aren't we promised eternal life? We hope in Jesus for eternal life. How come the sons of this world are better at being creative in how they use their resources to securing their future here? But the sons of light who have an eternal future are not being creative. So he's kind of telling his disciples, step up. You can do it. Do it. And he furthers the point. Make friends for yourselves. Okay, this is verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Okay. Make friends. Are we making new friends? It's not like the friends that we already have, that's awesome. But are you using your resources creatively to make new friends? And then he uses the word unrighteous wealth. This means money, the money of this world, okay? And he also says about this, the money of this world that it's going to fail. When it fails, right? He doesn't say if it fails. So kind of the idea here is that all the resources we have here on earth are only going to last here on earth. We're not going to take it with us to eternity. All of the riches that we built up here are going to just stay here. And in fact, God will take it away and give it to somebody else. We, are only to, we, are, we only have resources entrusted to us by the length of days we have here on earth. We don't take anything to eternity. But what is eternal? Here in the passage, what is eternal? The dwellings and the people, the relationships that you made, that you won for Christ, they will be there with you for eternity. 
Make friends for yourselves, for the kingdom. Use the money that you have. Use it. If you don't have money, use the car that you have. If you don't have a car, use the house. If you don't have a house, use anything that God has given you to make friends for yourselves with an eternal purpose. Steward resources winsomely for the kingdom. The resources we have is not ours. They come from God. The resources, um, we are stewards. We're responsible for how we take care of God's things. We ought to be uh, clever, winsomely, not manipulative, not dishonest, not lying. To be truthful, but to be creative on how you deal with people. For the kingdom. You want to share in the Father's heart, right? You want to share and you want to participate in spreading out his love, right? This is one practical way of doing it, is use the resources that you have creatively. And then he continues. Well, Jesus, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. Jesus, I don't have that like that person has. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So again, it's not about how much you have. It's, with, it's, it's the idea is it's with what you have, right? Are you faithful with what you have? Do you look at your, your bank account? Do you look at your resources thinking, this, is, this belongs to God ultimately. How am I going to use this to win people to Christ? Because if you're faithful in a little bit, you can be trusted you're going to be faithful with a lot. It's not like if God, if you're, if you're unfaithful with a little bit, then God says, okay, here's a lot more that you're going to then be faithful. No, it's, it's your heart here. Jesus is now, he's revealing our hearts to us by these instructions. So let's continue, verse 11. If you had not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, again, the frail it's going to fail, it's temporary money resources, okay? If you have not been faithful in that, who will entrust to you what? The true riches. This is genuine riches. This is forever riches. You want true riches, right? You want that. So prove to God, in a way, what I'm saying is prove that you're dealing with the little resources we have here to show him that's how I'm going to handle the true riches. What are true riches? In the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, we get this little title from Paul, the apostle. To preach to the Gentiles what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The term here, unsearchable, it's not like you can't find it, is that you can't find the end of it. It's ongoing. 
forever and ever. It's not that you can't comprehend it. It is that you can't comprehend it. It's everlasting. And that's what's reserved for us in Christ for eternity. So, coming back to the idea of our future, we have an eternal future. There are true riches there for us. And God has entrusted to us frail, unrighteous riches here right now. Is eternity affecting how you deal with the unrighteous wealth? Do you really believe you are going to get true riches? <laughs> Do you really believe that you have true riches waiting for you? And if so, does that affect the way they deal with the unrighteous wealth? That's going to fail eventually. It's going to fail eventually. Are we being creative in how we can win more people to Christ to spread his praise from shore to shore like we sang today? To be like, okay, I'm here for a little bit of time. I have this much money. Now I want to just, what can I do? And kind of Jesus opens the question, what, what can you do? Use your creative resources. Maybe you're creative in one way that another person isn't. But the idea here is, is that what's coming to us is so much greater than what we have here now. Okay? And so he furthers the point in verse 12. And if you had not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve what? God and money. Jesus is so amazing. Jesus is so amazing. On one hand, we have an eternal, unchangeable being, God, enthroned from all eternity. And then we have money. Money that fails. Money that's going to go away. Money that we're not going to take into eternity. Money that demands so much of your energy and your time. Right? Money that drains you. Money that makes you worried if it's not there. You cannot serve God and money. It just doesn't work. Money will demand of you things that will be opposed to what God demands of you. I mean, I, one example I gave a, a while ago is a, um, a job opportunity I had. Remember a long time ago? Um, I could have taken the job, but it would have been dishonoring to God. Because the, the job that I was going to take directly opposes God. I had to make a choice. Am I going to serve money, or am I going to serve God? Because I can't do both. And Jesus is giving us so many reasons why we should be like, I want to serve God. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll stand still. <laughs> All right. No, thank you.
Um, so, can I serve God and money? Okay. So, so in the instructions was what? Use your resources creatively for the kingdom, right? That was the first instruction. Jesus is saying, you got resources God has entrusted to you. Use them creatively to win people for the kingdom because that's eternal, okay? Then he, Jesus tells us that true riches are coming, which is eternal, so don't be so worried about how much you got right now, but instead, how can you use what you got right now for that eternal purpose, okay? So number two, our hearts are revealing our hearts. Do we love God or do we, do we love God and use money? Because money can be good. It buys us good things, right? Yeah. Or do I love money and use God? We have to weigh these things in our hearts. We have to weigh these things on our hearts. Is job more important than God? We have to weigh it. It's good to work. God told us to work, right? But has work become the God? I go, I'll, I'll go to church if I can. Or I will make it work. These are just options. I'm just throwing there out there for you. Then the, the number three now, the inspiration. What can cause someone to live like this in view of eternity? What can cause someone to use the resources that God has entrusted them creatively to win people to Christ, to not be serving money, to be serving God? What can give us inspiration? Can you give me the answer? Amen. Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do for us? He spent himself to buy us. He was sitting on a throne being glorified by angels, and he had a loving community with the Father and the Spirit. The Word was, was in heaven being worshipped perfectly, gloriously. We can't even fathom the idea of it. We just think it's awesome. Then he puts that aside and puts on flesh. He was born as a baby. He was put in a manger. He struggled with the struggles that we have, yet without sin. He was tired at times. He was hungry at times. He was sad when his friends died. He was among us. And not only that, when he, sees, when he saw someone hurting it says in the Bible that he had what on them? Compassion. He loved them. He was sharing the heart of the Father with all the people he was interacting with. He had great power, but he was using it for God. And so the greatest power of all is that he goes to the cross and God laid on him all the, all the times we were dishonest, all of the times that we were underhanded or lying or a white lie or a non-truthfulness, all the times that we sinned against God and said, you know what, God, you're not as good as money right now. All the times that we picked anything 
besides God. Things that should damn us for all eternity. He goes to the cross, Jesus, in your place and paid for your sins on the cross. His blood was shed. He died. We went over this in the month of April. And then he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And now he promises you eternal life, and then there's riches with that eternal life, things that we can't even comprehend and imagine. If you feel more rich in Christ and what Jesus has given you, you would, won't you tell me, would you want to spend whatever money you have now or creative resources you have for him? When you realize what he's done for you and you believe it and you grow more and more and more and more to believe it, won't you use the things, the resources we have for his purpose? It should. It could be costly, sure. It's, we all have to give an account one day. That's the thing. One day we're all going to stand before God one by one, and we're turning in our accounts. It's not bad to spend money on things that are fun. No, I'm not saying that at all. What am I saying? Are you using your resources for his glory? This is the, my main point. I think I hope you guys get that. <laughs> so, instruction, Jesus tells us, win people for the kingdom. Be creative in how you do it and go. Number two, check your heart. Check your heart. Are you loving God or are you loving money? And number three, be motivated, be inspired by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, well, we can't do this on our own. Our hearts are too frail and too weak. Sometimes we go back and forth. And Lord, we just pray that you would anchor our hearts in who you are and what you have done for us. That our hearts will be filled with joy and contentment. That we will be able to practically participate in sharing the heart of the Father with those that we love and those that we see and pe new people that we make friends with. Lord Jesus, we only living here for a short period of the time and then there's eternity. Lord, give us eyes and hearts and ears and Lord, our whole bodies. Give us the, the motivating drive to want to work for your kingdom. The short time that we're here, help us not to be occupied with raising money just to have it or to spend it on us. Don't, don't get, Lord, I just pray for everybody here that you love us enough to tell us there are true riches coming. Lord Jesus, we just offer you up thanksgiving for your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.